Queers, welcome to episode 6. In this episode, we are going to talk about what it means to be queer and a woman of color, how some people think they can experiment with us and get a taste of what is our everyday reality, how LGBTIQ friendly often applies only to white people and all the crap you have to take when you live contrary to certain social norms. All right. All right, all right. Hey, and welcome to the sixth episode of Vocal About It. This time we are going to talk about women of color and queerness. And we are going to have our first guest. Whoop, whoop. This is our dear friend, Sidan. That's me. That's you. <laughs> She's so excited. <laughs> Without who, this podcast would not have been possible. Literally. She taught us everything we know. Everything you hear here is thanks to you. So you are partly responsible for it, at least. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, by the way. Yes. And yeah, we would like to present this brilliant friend of ours. Yes. Who's actually having a podcast herself. She does. And it's called the Big Green Politics Podcast, which y'all should listen to. Absolutely. We'll talk about it again later in the podcast. Yeah, I'll be shamelessly plugging it. Oh my god, yeah, go, go for it, go for it. We celebrate other women of color in this podcast, vocal about it, so we're happy to have some self It's about that voice. <laughs> it's like the promotion voice. White people promotion voice. Yeah. So just for the context, in episode one, we talked about our tradition of having Sunday pasta with another girlfriend of color, that was Sedan. In episode maybe two, I was talking about how I get my anger out by playing squash with someone that's also her. <laughs> That's also her. <laughs> and a few other instances, yeah, that we're not going to list, but yeah. Indeed. So she has been with us for the last year when we were building the foundation of a sisterhood that we have today. Mm -hmm. And we are very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being here. Thanks, babe. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So about you, you not only yeah. have a podcast, you're also a singer-songwriter. Yes. You also are a law school graduate mm -hmm. who lived in the U.S., who did tons of feminist women projects, mm -hmm. who is now living in Brussels, writing for European journals, tweeting her life away, doing great blogs. Yeah. And also a political journalist, a queer activist, and so many things. It's a lot of labels. Are <laughs> yeah. we all about labels? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. And yeah, I think what's interesting and what we should pick up is that you're a queer activist and a woman of color. And yeah, you're... Yeah. This is one of the many ingredients of our identities. I wasn't, I wasn't actually aware of that until I moved to Europe. I wasn't aware of the fact that I was a woman of color. Mm -hmm. Because back when I was living in Turkey, I had a very privileged life because I was coming from that majority. I wasn't a part of any minority except for the LGBTQ community, but talking about racism and being a woman of color, then I moved to Belgium. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> yeah, and I immediately I started feeling the implications of being both a woman of color and a queer woman. But I was, even when I was living in Turkey, I was traveling a lot. But I guess if you just travel and if you're not living in that place, you just carry your privilege with you. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel it that much. But yeah, that intersection. You felt it when you were living here. Right. But it's so interesting what you say, because it, it, it makes me think also of um, Afro-feminism, as we call it, which is um, the intersection of being black and being a woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was talking about it with some activists as well. And basically, that does not make sense on the African continent. So there's a lot of things that doesn't make sense when you're actually living 
you know, technically in the country where you do majority. Exactly. But the minute you get out of there and you put in a white society, that becomes mm -hmm. a bit more complicated as we know it. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's so interesting because we've been growing up being very well aware of our being other from the very beginning. And for you, it just developed. So that must be There's such different experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When did you get here? It's going to be over. Yeah, it's going to be like a one and a half years. Oh, I thought more. No, 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 that's it. But yeah, that's why it's, I kind of refrain from talking about that intersection and experiencing two different kinds of discrimination in um, Belgium because it's such a new experience for me. I'm, right. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I also don't, sometimes I don't feel like I'm entitled to talk about it because it's, it's, it's just started for me. It's such a new thing. But like you two, you've been subjected to this for such a long time that I don't know if I'm the person to, you know, actually talk about it, but... Yeah, you definitely are. <laughs> Here I am talking about it. <laughs> Maybe the thing about this is I know racism and sexism very well because I've been basically, I've been raised with it. Since I was a kid in primary school, I know what racism looks like. I know the many faces of it and therefore I think that, okay, I know this house and so I could get a little distance of it. For sexism, that was different because when you're a kid, that's not so prevalent. But later on, it gets more and more important to find ways to deal with that. But homophobia, for example, is very new to me. How to deal with that, how to integrate this into my perspective, how people look at me, how I can get... I don't know, rid of it or how I can... How get, to deal with it. Yes. How to deal with it. How I get through um, a situation where people are staring at me. Uh, just like very basic things. I think in the in the book of homophobia, these are the oldest tricks. Yeah. But, um, and for racism, I don't give a shit. If somebody on Twitter is trying to get at me by telling me that I can't speak German or whatever, then I'm like... <laughs> Please, um, I have you for breakfast. I don't even. Yeah, but... <laughs> yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Delish. <laughs> A delicious dish. <laughs> Give it to me. Interesting but... way to put it. <laughs> but when it comes to other notions, um, it's still quite difficult for me because also the high visibility, um, I haven't figured all those dimensions out yet. For me, it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, that queer thing, I figured it out. I have it now. I, I know how to deal with that. But racism, that's, yeah, that's a new thing. And I don't know how to deal with that, just like you don't know how to deal with yeah. Welcome to Belgium. <laughs> I feel so welcome. We should hang out. <laughs> no, not more than we already do, please. No, I want to have a life. <laughs> What do you mean? No, but this is so interesting yeah. that... Um, yeah, it's also something you grow with. Mm -hmm. And as you're saying, homophobia, then it's just like, okay, it's a bullet that gets towards you and you can just take it and throw it back because you just know it so well. But also this, this also means you may be familiar with one certain kind of discrimination, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be immune to or ready to yes, deal with the absolutely. other kinds. Yes. This actually always made me wonder because I thought that one discrimination, it all stems from the same thing. It all stems from a patriarchal oppression system. But still, the ways that it's creeping out of its ugly holes, this is still 
so different that you can't just take the one method you learned comes in different shapes yes. and forms yeah. yeah exactly and also the other way around just because you are affected by one by like by sexism racism or homophobia doesn't mean that you are immune towards one of those <laughs> Just, just one thing that I feel is important for me to do is come out as a heterosexual cis woman, because sure, <laughs> from what I, from what I hear from my queer friends is that whether they're in their friend space, in their family, or at work, there's always somehow an expectation for them to come out, and people like secretly wonder, and they're like chip 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 around you. People are just talking about it. They need to know. They want to know. And at some point, someone will ask which I think is absolutely ridiculous and it, it obviously is never expected from a heterosexual. So, you know what, let's do it. As heterosexual, let's come out, you know, and see see, see how that goes. Yes. And just change the norm and make it, like, uh, just normalize uh, coming out as a heterosexual because there's there's no fairness in just expecting the queer people to come out and to explain how is it, you know, and how do you live this and how la 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 la. It's just, it doesn't make sense at all. So much emotional labor for other people to feel comfortable with your... Yeah own sexual orientation yes. also you're breaking with expectations and norms yeah. when you are coming out you are at the same time um showing that it's not normal and that oh wait a second i never thought about that when did i find out that i'm straight yeah exactly. hmm. yeah. yeah yeah totally and also i think that it can be a very freeing experience so it's not doesn't have to feel just oppressive it can also be very freeing and i actually think everybody should have their coming out in the way that they should reflect on their sexuality and how it developed and when they found out what works for them and what doesn't and also seeing it as something that isn't static but dynamic and that can develop over time and with experiences and also depending on how liberal the society is where you are yeah for now it just helps me to prove to people how absurd it actually is which is very fun to do so yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> Don't do that to them, Sarah. Hey, they deserve it. So just going into a, a bit of a less nice um, part of being a queer person, I actually have this really, I guess, sad and absurd and revolting anecdote that we went through that you, you babes know about. So I think I said it uh, in the very first episode, but my mom is from Angola and my dad is from Ivory Coast. And uh, my, I'm super, super close to my mom, not so much from my dad. And so my mom is like super, you know, big fan of the podcast and everything. And uh, I was recording. Hi, mom. Hi, Sarah's mom. <laughs> mama, Jordan. Uh, we were recording at my place. I get a call from my mama, which is super normal. Pick up. Hey, mom, I'm in a podcast session. Please call me back. She comes, calls me back two minutes later, which is weird because I just told her I'm busy. And uh, I pick up to find out and she tells me in a bit of a panic slash laughter slash don't really know how to react that she just got a call from my dad, who got a call from my uncle back in Ivory Coast, and another one from who's in New York. So basically the whole family is talking about a podcast uh, because they think I'm lesbian. So my mom is like, you know, bursting out laughter and she's just like, this is ridiculous and whatever. And I didn't laugh. I actually don't find it funny. And when I hang up, I think Sarah and I really felt the violence of it. Yes. Because, you know, one of my uncles said, if we need to bring her back to Ivory Coast to marry her, then that's what we'll do. And like, we don't fuck around with this and whatever, whatever. 
And that's really when I felt the privilege of being heterosexual, number one, but also the violence of, you know, of uh, having to be queer and not being able to come out to the people that are supposedly the closest to you. Yes. Yes. The threat was really tangible. Mm -hmm. You could feel it yeah. through the phone. It was all of a sudden the, the atmosphere was just completely different. Yeah. Like they could, if they wanted to, they could intervene And I mean, of course, that's also not real. And thankfully, you have a lot of privileges. And, and thankfully, you're a heterosexual. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes. Um, but still, only the possibility and the face of homophobia, that was really, yeah. that was really threatening. That was, yeah. Do you have any experience of that? Or like, do you find Brussels to be a queer-friendly city or your environment? Um, yeah, I would say mostly. But it depends. Every neighborhood is different. Mm-hmm. And then if your workplace is not as queer-friendly that you would want it to be, then you have a totally different experience because you spend at least eight hours a day there. Mm -hmm. So you may have friends and the circle of friends in the bubble that's very queer-friendly, et cetera, et cetera. But then again, if your workplace is different, if your family has a different take on the whole thing, mm -hmm. you'll have a different experience. Um, I genuinely never... Yeah. It's because it's what I'm... Like, I've been living with this mm -hmm. for my whole life, so I don't sit and think about it. Mm -hmm. It's just a natural way of living yeah. and adjusting to the environment that I'm in. So it's kind of like racism for you. You know what you're gonna face, you can sense it, and you know how to deal with it. So it's not a consideration of, is this place queer friendly, is this... But Brussels, I mean, coming from Turkey, of course yeah. it is. Though I was living in Istanbul and it was also okay just to go against all the stereotypes. Yeah, I mean, but Istanbul is like 20 Brussels big. Mm -hmm. And um, so you have certain neighborhoods that you wouldn't go holding your significant other's hand. But there were certain places that I would say more liberal and queer friendly than Brussels. Mm -hmm. So it's like a, it's a whole spectrum that you, you could find. But no, I, I would say Brussels has been okay and pretty good about it. What's your experience? I think it's super, yeah, I think it's super interesting that you're saying that you don't have to think about it anymore because for me it's the exact opposite. I'm so <laughs> self-conscious about everything. So I think in Brussels it's easier for me because I somehow found a way of blinding certain things out also because I don't feel like people are staring at me that much. But uh, for example in Vienna I felt so self-conscious all the time which is i think it's also based on reality it's more conservative it's um i, I don't think that people are used to women of color holding hands mm. being queer so this representation just isn't there at all supposedly such a queer friendly city though yes exactly they have the what is it the lights yeah. pedestrian crossing lights exactly. yeah The gay, gay light. <laughs> the gay lights. Ah, uh, yeah, they are called gay lights. <laughs> exactly. So they have those gay lights. And uh, they have the live ball, which is a huge queer event um, to raise awareness against AIDS. And it's all, it's all open and shit until it comes to being a woman of color. So I felt like all those stereotypes about Vienna being so open and shit, this just didn't really count for me. So um, whenever I told some of my friends about how people stared at me or cheered when I walked there with my significant other, 
hand in hand. They were really surprised, but because they were like, mm? but maybe if like if the LGBTQ plus scene in a city is dominated by white people. And again, there is no representation. Even the shock factor, even seeing that for the first time gets you that kind of a reaction. Mm -hmm. Even just that. And then because this is like a new thing for you as well. So you're hyper aware. Yes. I mean, this is, you're the person that can tell what's actually happening in Vienna for queer women of color because you're hyper aware. You you, you can see the reactions and everything. For me, I'm sure I've been yelled at, looked at in Brussels, but I've, I guess, in a way, normalized it so much that, or it's just like, I'm immune to it, yes. that I don't even think about it. Yeah, I actually wanted to say immune because I feel like um, developing those defense mechanisms just very much feels like having a strong immune system. Mm-hmm. And right now, I still feel everything, every virus, every bacteria just comes to me and just throws me over. Take some gay vitamins. Yeah, Yeah. the anti-queer winter is real. (laughs) Vitamin gay. (laughs) No? Okay, that was really... We're gonna cut that. Cut. Cut, cut. Cut. In any case... um, yeah. <laughs> oh, love it. And relationships and uh, racism while dating, which we actually talked about in episode four of Vocal Body, which I ex- expect all of you to have listened already. You better. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, especially dating. We talked about that lately, yeah. no? I think that's the area that I feel that intersectional discrimination the most in Brussels. And I did not expect that. This is such a new thing in my life because I was never found that kind of exotic in any other city (laughs) in Turkey. I know what you mean that exoticizing is very, very, very new. And um, also everything you told me that you experience on Tinder um, just felt completely ludicrous yeah. and we had the situation where you gave somebody your number mm-hmm. and they figured that it was Turkish and didn't reply anymore. Fuck these people. For such a long time I was like no that can't be oh, true yeah. that can't be holy shit holy shit but turned out it was real and uh, that really struck me too because yeah i think i'm just already i'm very visible people see what they get so when when racists are coming towards me this this rarely happens that i have those kind of interactions yeah. where they find out that i'm not european european or something yeah and where are you from sarah where, where are you come really on <laughs> yeah i think there are two things come out of um, them finding out that I'm from Turkey and obviously queer, I mean, in this context. One is that, are oh, you from Turkey? Then I'm not gonna probably reply. I'm just not gonna continue communicating. But the other thing is, it may also be like a taboo for them and like a fantasy, this, this thing that they would want to experience, uh, especially if they're bicurious women then it's even more of a thing for them that they... This is like a bucket list Mm. kind of a thing, I think. It's, oh yeah, a woman? A woman of color. What do you think are the stereotypes, uh, particularly when it comes to Turkish people? I think the first thing that comes to people's people's minds is, um, oh, she's probably a Muslim conservative. Mm. Um, So I don't want to deal with 
If they only knew. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess what people usually don't want to see or they maybe they've never been told and they need to be told is when it comes to countries like Turkey you got to keep in mind that half of the population or the, the voters don't vote for this certain regime that actually imposes this kind of a lifestyle mm-hmm. conservative muslim some people they're actually very secular they're atheists they don't practice islam but even if they do your sexual orientation is so like it has nothing Nothing to do with any of that. And the other thing that I get is, are oh, you queer? But you're from Turkey. Is that oh. even a thing there? I know. I don't. I don't see the correlation between those two sentences. But for them, it, it's a thing. I guess it is. A th- Then it becomes exciting. Yes. As you were saying earlier. By curiosity, mm-hmm. obviously, is something that many women are going for, but not in a serious way, in a way of they see you as equal, want to have a relationship mm-hmm. with you and may end up with you. Yes, may end up with you. And if not, are going to end it on decent terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, I feel, just not happening. Yeah. It's more like in the center of society. So the most valuable is white men and... And the normal. Yes. Yeah. And what represents safety and prestige and just confirmation in society. And then the further you go, there's women. And then on the very margins is women of color. And then even queer. Exactly. Exactly. Very marginalized in a way by, you know, in their eyes. And because of all those internalized stereotypes that apparently they never dealt with, they are also treating you according to all those views and images that are there, that it doesn't really matter. It's not important to treat you like you would treat a white guy. And this is absurd, I find. And uh, I've heard many people telling me about exactly this, that it's just having a taste of it and then going back to the perceived normal, where it's all safe, sound. And it's also their comfort zone too yeah i mean you if if dating me and my kind of people if that is you can't be comfortable with that it's just like a what's that called like an adrenaline thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a rush for yes. you you would want to go back to your comfort zone at some point especially when that initial interest when that fades away then what are you left with because yeah. you didn't like that person for the person that they are you like the labels the what society perceives of them i think this is also very prevalent when it comes to women of color definitely that you would like to taste it once or twice yeah. and then going back to yeah, normal yeah, you were talking about that yeah you talk about that a lot sarah <laughs> <laughs> spill it girl <laughs> so there was this day <laughs> and this guy <laughs> only one guy <laughs> bitch shut up <laughs> my little brothers are listening <laughs> hi sarah's mom <laughs> No, but there's definitely been instances. And again, that came later in my life when I took some distance, when I became a bit more educated about certain things. And when I was able to put words and concepts, you know, on on experiences that I was living. But thinking back, there was this particular guy who definitely had a face when I met him. And I was his first black girlfriend. And he was so excited about it. And he was so interesting about my roots and about learning more and la la la. And he had this whole like... African Asian face, which thinking back is absolutely disgusting, yes. And eventually he went back to white girls. And I now know that he has a white girlfriend and that, you know, that's it's it's literally like having a face, going crazy, maybe 
testing some sexual stuff that you never dared testing. Exploring. Exploring. And then, when that's done, going back to where you belong. Going back to the actual serious thing. Going back to a future-proof option. Going back to real life. Yeah, pretty much. Because this is like a fantasy world that we offer, that we provide. And that's real life. Let's get back. Like, let's get back to business. I want to kind of advance in my life and maybe find someone that I can end up with, Mm -hmm. have a future with. And also, I think with dating a woman of color, I mean, for those bi-curious women, dating a woman and a woman of color, it's kind of like ticking two boxes at the same time we're like killing two birds with one stone it's it's, yeah it's like a mashup of those two things may which may make it more attractive i mean the result at least for me and i can see from a few other people's experiences it's you have to then deal with when that happens when they go back you have to deal with that fear of not being enough or what was wrong with me or yeah like a bunch of self-esteem issues trust issues abandonment issues and then another messed up thing is that you then assume that all your relationships are gonna end up in the same way because yeah you're still in belgium you know same same conditions but that's not fair to yourself that's not fair to someone that you met may be actually genuinely interested in you so it's not fair to them but i guess now that i'm going through this whole process and i'm talking to you like constantly about it (laughs) (laughs) i guess you i mean we have to have like a holistic approach and deal with it as a whole yeah otherwise you you just you just get lost in it but um i guess one thing is i mean therapy for sure Mm -hmm. but the other one we just coincidentally talked about this like a few days ago um self-love and that finally starting that journey of self-love yeah (laughs) cries (laughs) (laughs) internal tears No, but it definitely creates a lot of insecurities for sure. Yeah, and then because there's no logical solution, so you have to have your own process with it. And yeah, self love and having this kind of a strong community who understands what you're going through. And for me, that'd be you two. Um, so I mean, like, I can only tell. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I can only. Don't make those faces. I can only tell my own, you know, personal story, but. At least for me, that's where I'm at and I'm where the things that I found that could be helpful. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing. I just want to make a point when it comes to that as well, because I do need to make a confession that I was definitely this woman who was like, I would love to have sex with a woman one day. And this here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Judging. Very much on my list. And I to me it was just like I find the woman body so beautiful and I did feel some kind of attraction to women or whatever. So I always thought it would be great, but I never understood how hurtful and wrong it could be until I met you girls. And I'm very thankful for that because I think you can go around and be who you are and think of yourself as so open-minded, so cool, whatever. But I think it's so important to take into consideration the person in front of you, their feeling, their history, and their expectations as well, which is only human. And I think if you're a queer woman of color and you've been going through a lot of um, different shits, because for sure you do, you know, and then there's like this super liberal, cool, whatever woman who comes to you, you know, you have sex, feelings come up and you're like, oh my God, no, but I'm not, oh my God, you know, sorry if you got it wrong. How did you get that idea? (laughs) Then it's like absolutely wrong. So please, any heterosexual, bi-curious woman out there, do listen. This is very important. I mean, my message is not, don't act on 
your yeah your yes. curiosity because you never know maybe you you like women yes maybe yes. you're attracted to them and of course that's not my message it's legit to explore but it's also about being considerate what you're doing to the people you're just trying to have a little yeah hunch of I mean, their lives exactly um because this is our reality we have to live with that every day and when you're like okay no i'm gonna chicken out this is too much conflict for me Mm, this is what we have to go through. Mm. And this is a process too. And it takes a lot to step back from those social norms that pretend that there is so much safety in heteronormativity or in being with somebody who just society tells you that is good for you. There's this, but also, I mean, when it comes to, to this, I think for me, it would have been, if I in, in ended up having sex with a woman, it would have been very clear to me that I'm going back to men after this. Mm. Do you know what I mean? The same if a white guy goes to a woman of color and say, oh, I'm going back to a white woman after this. Mm -hmm. So don't do it. Just fucking don't do it because then it means that you know exactly what you're going for and why you're going for it. Mm -hmm. And then that you're going back to whatever feels normal and right and proper to yes. you. And also, there may be some, like, some times that you're confused, etc., etc. So my message yeah. is um, make sure that you're not going after that person because of their labels and what makes them interesting is not because of the color of their skin, where they're from, or the fact that they are just a woman, you know? You should have more reasons for that to go for that person. Because unfortunately, that that if you're interested in that person for only for those reasons, <laughs> there's no way you're gonna hold that interest. It's gonna fade away. And unfortunately, these things, I mean, if these things happen, so as a woman of color, queer woman of color, then it becomes a pattern. Um, everyone will can have their first with a woman. I mean, every woman. But if you are a queer woman of color, then your whole dating life is just this, mm -hmm. providing the service yeah. because you are that for them. Um, so yes, everyone can explore and all of that, but also why this is kind of messed up is because, okay, imagine this, I have a significant other and she has a problem with the fact that I'm financially unstable. I can kind of change that if it's up to me, if that's something that's up to me and I can change that, that's great. Maybe for that relationship, or if that's already over for the next ones, right? But these things, being a queer woman or a woman of color, I can't change. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to, oh, I can't do anything about this except for the fact that I can just love myself and trust the fact that this will be enough to, you know, kind of continue and have my own thing. Very nice, very nice. That reminds me of a, of a story that I heard on a French podcast. Ah, what's the name? Un podcast as well. They had a specific episode that was called Entre Elles or Entre Femmes or something, which means among each other, among women. And it was specifically about um, queer women and lesbian women. And it was a beautiful hour long of stories and testimonies of, of different women on their experiences. And um, at the end, they talked about this, this couple of two women of color, actually. And, and now they're married and, and both activists, super badass, amazing. But one of them um, has origins from um, somewhere in Southeast Asia, but I can't remember the country exactly. And she was telling how from the very early on, she was a, an anti-racism activist. And at the time she had a white girlfriend, but she was not out. And the white girlfriend could not understand how can she be such an activist when it comes to racism and her, the color of her skin, all these experiences, but not coming out to her family, to her friends and to everyone. And so she was actually being quite an oppressor to her of like, but how can you, you know, be so strong and be so vocal about it? <laughs> <laughs> very clever. Thank you very much. 
And and I thought this was also interesting, and it brings me to the point that self-love definitely is very important, but it, it's also a matter of sometimes just analyzing again, and I've been mentioning that before, but who's around you? Who are the people who surround you? Your lovers, your friends, your colleagues, do they understand all the different intersections that comes into your life? If they don't, and if they oppress you for some things, but still understand you from other, it still doesn't make it. You know, in terms of the energy that this takes you, maybe you want to think back and just make sure you surround yourself with people who understand you fully for who you are. Yes. Preach, preach, preach. So when we're talking about coming out and privilege, I would like to start our Women of Color We Want to Celebrate section with a great movie I recently saw called Pariah. And this is exactly about this very topic, how existential it can be to come out. It's a coming of age story of a young black teenage woman who has a very strict, very oppressive mom who is very Catholic and who senses that something changes about her daughter and she is trying to make it go away and is becoming very aggressive and violent towards her and is trying to yeah more or less incarcerate her not let her out and in the end spoilers much sorry her coming out means breaking ties with her family this means that she has to live with another black queer friend of hers this also means for her starting a completely new life with a great career as a writer, um, being free and this is also very much her notion she's not running she's choosing She's actively choosing this life. And I love this notion of it's not just an extremely marginalized and oppressive history. It's also a story that gives you an incredible feeling of freedom. This movie is great. Even though I spoiled it, please watch it. It's amazing. <laughs> the director is called Dee Rees. Her story is partly autobiographical biographical as her parents actually reacted also very badly to her coming out and she's great she is doing music too and she was actually nominated for an oscar for the drama mudbound last year yeah yeah there can be so much at stake for some people when they come out yeah it's hard to describe describe it yeah and then some people have very you know easy yes compared to other people that doesn't make them less queer that doesn't make the others more queer it's yes. just everyone has a different life yes you know? it doesn't make you less valuable because you're not out and proud because maybe you can't afford it don't let anyone tell you otherwise privilege plays a role even in that so i would have a second woman of color should i just continue yes. with this okay great so this would be janelle monet <laughs> is an amazing American soul and funk singer, songwriter, dancer, actor, who actually had her big screen acting debut in Moonlight. I didn't know that. I didn't see Moonlight yet. In any case, she is amazing. She's very outspoken against police brutality and actually had her coming out last year. And I would like to read the quote of this because that was also just glorious. She came out in The Rolling Stone saying that being a queer black woman in America, someone who has been in relationships with both men and women, I consider myself to be a free-ass motherfucker. Boom, and boom, I love boom. that. So, um, I also have two women of color that I want to celebrate today. One is from Belgium and the other one is from Sweden. I think it's the first Swedish woman of color that we celebrate. Mm -hmm. uh, so, the one from Belgium is actually a beloved woman of color, black woman who lives here in Brussels. Her name is Rokia Bomba. And she is the absolute best. She is a DJ. She's been playing uh, in clubs, radio platforms for like oh, yes! 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 15 yes! years. Yes! 
her music is so good. Coolest. We were at the period party and she was there. She was DJing. It was so cool. That's when we buy. Yeah, I know. This is when like the magic happens. That's how like powerful her music is, I guess. But it's the kind of thing where you go and you can literally just stand up and dance for like a full on seven hours because she's just so good. And she has an amazing energy. She dances herself a lot while mixing and stuff. She's just so energetic, so dynamic. She is the absolute best. Please go check out her music on SoundCloud, on MixCloud. I just found out also she has some mix that are really cool. And she is the official DJ for the um, uh, Massimidi Festival in Brussels, which is a Afro-LGBTQI plus festival around movies. Yes, which is really cool. It's around May. I'm not sure what are the dates for this year. But for the people who are in Brussels, there is actually a Massimadi party on the 1st of February at the Benelux. We're going. Starting 10 p.m., we are going, the three of us. So if any fans want to come and meet us, <laughs> lol, <laughs> we'll be there. But the festival itself is really, really amazing. Gives great visibility uh, to different, different groups such as like lesbian of colors. And there's just really, really many extremely cool movie so i invite you all to check it out as well and uh the second woman that i want to celebrate is named andrea davis conlund and she founded a magazine that's basically uh serving afro-scandinavian fresh since 2016 as they say it's called cool magazine k-r-u-l-l and it brings together together alternative perspective of black culture to really change perception break stereotypes and include a diversity of voices you can read about fashion and beauty about politics about trends about music about many different things it's the absolute coolest you can check out their website they have just the more the most gorgeous visual graphics and it's and it's ultra cool okay i think we should uh, absolutely have a self-promotion moment and celebrate you my darling sedan so please tell us about your podcast tell us where people can follow you on what platform and, uh, you know, which kind of questions do you accept or not? <laughs> no questions allowed. Uh, no negative feedback allowed. <laughs> Only compliments. Um, Turkish after all. <laughs> oh my snap. God. Snap, snap, snap. Not it was coming. It was inevitable. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so the Big Green Politics podcast, my podcast partner, Julia, and I, we've started doing it um, a while ago. It's been about half a year and it's basically an independent media platform podcast that you can find green news and interviews with green thinkers academics politicians so it's basically about green and progressive politics but without any kind of mainstream media shit if you want to follow uh we have twitter account at big green pal pod and if you want to subscribe and Check us out. Um, where can people follow you? Uh, do you have a personal account? Yes, that'd be at Sedan Anlar. So S-E-D-E-N-A-N-L-A-R. Super. That's my Twitter. Great. Yes. All right. Thank you so much, my love. Thank you for having me. Thanks. It's great. Thanks for Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Vocal About It. If you enjoy our real talk, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, share us on your platforms, and make sure to follow us for updates on Twitter under the handle at vocalabout underscore it. If you have any questions, no cool women of color we should celebrate or host, drop us a mail at vocalaboutit at gmail.com. See you next week. <laughs>